0: As you've probably noticed, today's scripture is going to be found in Acts chapter 8, so if you haven't turned there, do so uh, promptly, because we're going to move right into scripture in just a moment. Um, And with your kind permission, I'd like to take you on a desert adventure today. looks like everybody's up for that and ready to go and in their best mood and mode. To get started, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible or your Bible app to the 8th chapter then of the book of Acts. And we're going to read, starting at verse 25, uh, several verses. And um, we're going to put them on the screen for you this morning because um, what I'm putting on the screen is coming from the Amplified Bible. And just a word of explanation, well, what is the Amplified Bible? It's a Bible that's amplified. I know that was a little deep theologically, and some of you won't grab that right off the bat, but um, it has words in there that explain words that you might not or I might not or or won't understand at first reading, but it really uh, clarifies some things for us. So uh, I'm going to read. I invite you to read with me. Uh, I need a little help anyway. My... My vision isn't right what it should be, so if I go off on another line, you can keep me right on track. Starting at verse 25, we're going to read about 10 or 11 verses. Stop, take a break, look at a few things. So let's start with that. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 25. Reading as the, as the screen will uh, direct us, and hopefully uh, we'll all be together on the thoughts. So when Peter and John had given their testimony and preached the word of the Lord they started back to Jerusalem, preaching the good news about salvation in many Samaritan villages along the way. But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a man of great authority, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I understand unless someone guides me correctly? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this was the passage of scripture which he was reading. And I'll tell you up front, it's from Isaiah 53, the Passion passage. And it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. In other words, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, Please tell me about whom does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip spoke, and beginning with this scripture, he preached, explaining that he is the promised Messiah and the source of salvation. Just going to stop there. There's so many things already in those 11 verses that I could go about six directions, but I'll try to only go four or five. I want to extract and expand this morning on what I call four explosive questions. And these are explosive. Could we pause for prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you first off for allowing us to be together today to read and enjoy and understand and learn together your precious word. Thank you that you've promised that where we gather together in the name of Jesus and with the right motive, that you're there in the midst. And so we thank you and we invite your Holy Spirit now to do his work in every heart bring conviction, bring conversion, bring convincing, whatever it needs for my heart and for every other heart and soul in this place that all glory will go to Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. When we read this stirring story, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I'm going to assume that maybe you haven't heard this story or you don't remember it. And I'm not... um, uh, I'm not, d- that's got nothing to do whether you have or not, I'm not insulting your intelligence, but if you are familiar with it, then to be reminded of a few things won't hurt either, and if you're not, I think we'll pick up some things that are really, really important. There's a target au- audience in the message that I have ready this morning, but that's for me to know and you to find out. This is a very stirring account of an Ethiopian man, and what we see, actually, is the conversion of every believer, everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who calls him or herself a Jesus follower, everyone who has come to faith in Christ. And, and a, when, we, when we look at this man and we look at this conversion experience, we see ourselves. Now, as with the Ethiopian, There's always this, I call it, splendid concert between God and man when someone comes to faith in Christ and it happens every time someone is saved. As we look at the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch, I want you to notice uh, some universal elements that are present every time anyone comes to faith in Christ. First thing that's very obvious is there's always a human instrument to reach the lost. And even as Pastor Todd was saying, even just through giving and through uh, helping with the mission that uh, is coming up and all the rest of it, that's an opportunity to have a part in reaching out to the lost and, and to bring the gospel to those that have never heard. So no matter who you are, no matter where you were saved, when you accepted Christ, no matter what the conditions were, doesn't matter how you came to faith in Christ, everybody has this story, I can say this of a certainty, there was someone, or perhaps many someones, that God used to help bring you along to faith. Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, Verses 13 and 14, he said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 14, he said, the question is asked, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him uh, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The NIV puts it, how shall they hear without someone preaching to them? or sharing with them, or giving to them the gospel message. Now, I'd like you to notice something in our text, which you may not have caught as we were reading down through. In verse 27, early on, it says, And Philip arose, or got up, and went. I love, there are a few examples of this in Scripture, where God gives a command to somebody, and immediately they obey. No questions, no excuses, no but, 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 but. They got up and went and did as the Lord commanded. Hey, Philip is leaving a great revival, and he's going to the desert. Most preachers wouldn't be real excited about that. I'm going where? Well, you're going on that road that goes south out of Jerusalem down to Gaza, and it's basically all desert. Yeah, but we've got things going here. People are getting saved, and the whole town is turning to Christ. And, you know, no, no. So there was none of that kind of conversation. My Bible says, and I'm sure yours does too, something to this effect. And Philip arose, or got up, and went. And behold a man, take note of the two words, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Four explosive questions. Question number one. It's found in verse 30. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked the eunuch. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, this is question number three, please tell me about whom does the prophet say, or question number two, he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me correctly? I I like the way that the eunuch actually put Philip in proper progression here and didn't let anything happen in between. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, how could I understand unless somebody shows me or guides me or leads me in a correct manner? And then verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me about whom does the prophet say these things? Is it about himself or about someone else? That's question number three. Now there's a progression. I'm hurrying on because I want you to see the progression in those verses before we leave them. God uses a man to tell another man about the world's most important man, who was also God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, God uses people to tell other people about Jesus. Sharing the gospel with the lost and with sincere seekers, is a job apparently only humans can do. As far as I can tell, and I've researched it fairly extensively, angels are not directly involved in the task of proclaiming the gospel. Say, yeah, I got saved one day, an angel spoke to me, and boom, I accepted Christ. You'll see none of that in Scripture ever, ever, ever. Angels have no part whatsoever in the task of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, they can't tell you how to be saved because, because they, don't know. they don't know. They haven't had the experience. Now here's why that's true. And I'm glad I said that earlier on in the message because it got some of your, atten- your attention now. Because God has ordained that people tell people about Jesus. So now do you realize how important that makes you and me in the overall plan of God for salvation? So here's something even angels are not tasked to do. God has appointed you, my Christian friend, and me to proclaim his salvation message. What a privilege to be able to do what even the angels can't and don't do. So the first element of conversion is a messenger. It's a person sharing Jesus Christ. And also, whenever someone is saved, it's always in response to God preparing his or her heart. Nobody comes to Christ in a vacuum. Even with the instrumentality of a messenger, without the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare the heart of the listener, the gospel would only fall on deaf ears. It might be heard, it might be listened to, but it won't be heeded and acted upon until the Holy Spirit prepares that heart. Look with me now in this story at how God prepared a heart. First off, I can't get away from this. <laughs> God opened the way for Philip to come to the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse uh, 26 says, And the angel of the Lord said, Philip, arise, go toward the south, uh, under the way that runs down from uh, Jerusalem unto Gaza, and that's, that's, you know, that's the desert. God arranged for Philip to meet this man out in the desert, can I just say that again i don 't want to just be redundant here, but but I want you to really hear this: God arranged for Philip to meet this man out in the desert i, I 'm going to call it the most unlikely place that you could imagine for this scenario to play out. When you look at this, you see clearly that God is orchestrating this whole thing. God is present here. Now, you look at your situation and, and, and the things surrounding your salvation experience, and maybe God didn't drop a holy hitchhiker on you out in the desert, but if you think back, you'll be able to look at many people that God providentially, maybe you haven't thought of this before, Uh, brought in and out of your life to get you to a place to understand first and to believe second the gospel. It may have started with some person that you know that lives a holy, loving life, a Christian friend or a relative who showed you how knowing God makes a difference in your life because it made such a difference in their lives that it made an indelible impression upon you. Later, it may have been somebody in your social setting, at work, in your education, wherever. Or it may have been someone who invited you to church and you acquiesced and said, if I don't go, I'll never get them off my back, so I'll go. And here you are. Maybe someone else gave you a book or maybe offered you a Bible or started talking to you just generally about the things of God. God's secret agents planted in His providence to lead you to the truth of the gospel. I want you also to note that God opened the scriptures to a seeker. Here's what verse 28 says about this man. He was returning. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I don't know what or who he had gone to worship, but Jerusalem was the center of worship for different faiths and religions, and he went there because there was a void in his life, obviously. And he knew something about the Jewish faith, and he probably had been hearing quite a bit about this new thing called Christianity, if that's what it was called, or the people of the way. And it says that he went to Jerusalem for worship, and on his way back to Ethiopia, he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading. Listen, this just, if you're not thinking about this, start thinking about it right now. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. All they had was the Old Testament, but of all the places that could have opened up to him, he's reading from Isaiah. The prophet now, it it must strike you as I mean, doesn't it strike you as a bit coincidental that this man just happens to have a copy of the scriptures open to the most prominent and clear prophecy about Jesus Christ in all the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter fifty three? Do you think that that was just a coincidence? Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was just oh, and it could have happened to anybody? No, God in His providence had been preparing the eunuch for when his secret agent, Philip, would show. He didn't know Philip from anybody. He didn't know who this stranger was, this, this sojourner out in the desert. All Philip did was be available to God. Listen to very carefully to this. And God did the rest. You see, nobody's ever really saved, just saved out of the blue. Tell me about your salvation. I, I don't really know. Just I know. I went to bed one night. Next morning I get up and boom. I knew I was safe. Doesn't happen that way. You say, well, I wish it did. No, No, I don't. Because think of all the blessing you'd miss. People come to Christ when God uses his word to open their hearts and produce questions in their minds. You may have some this morning about God, about salvation, about eternity, and about who knows what. And something else I want to show you is that whenever someone is saved by the grace of God, not by the act of a man trying to do something, there is a proclamation of the word of God. I mean, the Bible's very clear that there can be no real conversion without a declaration of God's word. It, that's the fallacy of, oh, I'll just, uh, I can't say much to people and I'm kind of, you know, but, uh, but, um, but uh, I'll just, I'll witness with my life. But but I'll keep quiet, I'll keep my mouth shut. A person comes to Christ by trusting in some very concrete ideas that can only be communicated through words, not just through our lives. I'm not putting down a good life. I'm not putting down a good testimony and a good witness, but I'm saying a person comes to Christ through concrete ideas, and those ideas need to be communicated, how, through words. Our lives can and must and should bear witness to the power of the message, but ultimately no one is saved apart from the declaration of the gospel from the word of God. Um, I could enlarge on that, but it wouldn't help any because it can't be any clearer. Paul said this in Romans 10, 17. He said, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Period. Of course, all the Word of God has authority, but specifically, it's the message of the gospel that's referred to here, which Paul tells us uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that that's the good news. What's the good news? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, for our sins. What's the good news? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, for our sins. What's the good news, friend? You say, well, I don't know what to say to people. Just tell them you got good news. And they'll say, what's the good news? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. What? For our sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. You come to Him. He's already paid for them. Past, present, and future. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile, which you and I are. Christian friend, if you have a burden to reach your friends, do you have a burden to reach your family members, your loved ones, people that live around you, people that you do business with, and you have a burden to bring the gospel to to them? Well, it does begin with with a good, godly testimony, and it does begin with a loving spirit, and it does begin showing that you have this burden for them, but ultimately they must hear somewhere, somehow from someone a presentation of the gospel in order to come to faith, whether it be by you opening your Bible and telling them the gospel story or by giving them, I don't know, literature or videos or whatever is out there in the proper way today with the gospel message or maybe bringing them to a church service and letting them hear the gospel being declared here publicly which we do and we do it unapologetically at Faith Community. Amen. So again can you see that God is in this whole picture? <laughs> you got the Ethiopian eunuch and, and he's in the chariot and they've got this great entourage and you got the preacher Philip there running to catch up to them. And you say, wow, that's quite a scene. Wait, you're leaving somebody out. (laughs) Somebody that was there before any of them. You see God in this picture all the way through. God uses human messengers to deliver the message. But he works all the time in the background. And he uses his powerful word to convert the one who is lost and seeking Now let me remind us, too, that no one is ever saved who has not believed in Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is no salvation under any other. Acts 4.12. So no one is ever saved, no one is ever in the family of God if they've not believed on Jesus Christ. At this point, I want us to go back to that scripture, Acts chapter 8, and we'll pick it up just where we left it, at the start of verse 36, and we're going to read down to 40. As they continued along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch exclaimed, Look, water, what forbids me from being baptized? Philip said to him, go ahead and read with me if you like, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that the chariot be stopped and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip and carried him away to a different place. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the good news of salvation to all the cities until he came to Caesarea Maritima. Hmm. Most people believe that and I and I can see why this has been built up through the years and people adding things to the whole idea of salvation, but many, many people believe that they contribute to their own salvation by earning it somehow, by some kind of good work or religious ceremony, or following some traditional line of thinking. Hmm. So it was with the Ethiopian man. He thought, like many mistakenly believe today, that he could be saved by some other means. Matter of fact, he blurted it right out, and it must have taken Philip by surprise. He, he, he really came out and said to Philip, well, I believe then that if uh, this Christian thing is right, you, 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 we must get our hearts right then. We must get in right standing with God by baptism. Hmm. Let's look at verse 36 again, because that's question number four of the four explosive questions that I wanted to share with you. Look, water! What forbids me from being baptized? Verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, look, see, another uh, version says, see, here is water. (laughs) What prevents me? Or what forbids me? from being baptized. Can I just stop and tell you a little bit about the eunuch? This was probably, outside of the royal family, the most important man in all of Ethiopia. Ethiopia was a very, very wealthy country. It was a very strong and powerful country. It was well-known to the known world. And it was, it was what's called the Kandake uh, Empire. It was under a king. Who was basically non existent, but the wife Candace ran the show. And she was the most powerful person in the region, maybe in the known world at that time. She had untold wealth. And the, the Ethiopian eunuch was the treasurer of that empire. He was in charge, the Bible says, of all her treasure. So when you see the name Candace there of the Ethiopians, that's a very, very powerful name. And here he is getting some paid time off to go to Jerusalem and take his whole entourage with him because he wanted to worship. And he spent time in Jerusalem worshiping, I guess. I don't don't really know what all that entailed. And now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. And here he is in the desert, and he's reading. He couldn't get good reception there, so he said, I'll read a book. He didn't like what he was seeing on Facebook because they were criticizing Candace, and he said, I've had enough of this dirt and fake news. I'm going to read a book. Where's that... Where's that Old Testament scroll? And he pulled that out. And as luck would have it, it just opened to the 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Yeah. And if you believe that, I've got a special this weekend on my bridge. And speak to me afterwards. I've got to say that over the years, I have talked to many, many individuals. And in one form or another, I've asked them the question if they knew that they were forgiven of all their sins. I would ask a woman, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Or a man? And do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Not because it's a warm and fuzzy thing that we say when people die, or not because you heard some preacher say it at a funeral service, or that's what everybody believes, because your grandmother went there, and her, her grandmother before her, and your grandmother, and one of your parents, and your dog, and they're all there, so when you die, you go to heaven. It's just, that's it. That's a fine thing, only we shouldn't be teaching children that. Hello? You still here? Okay. We shouldn't be teaching children that. We should be teaching children the truth. That man, that woman, I mean, we don't have to be harsh about it, but the fact is the only way you can go to heaven is to be in the family of God. And how does that happen? Through accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is no other way. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Just that. That's the gospel. And I've often gotten this answer. Oh yeah, sure Bob. Uh, um, I was baptized about 10 years ago. And immediately I know that that man or woman they're equating baptism with salvation. And I want to say, well, I was baptized 61 years ago, but that did not make me a Christian. I could have slept in the garage last night, that wouldn't make me an automobile. (laughs) Let me be perfectly clear, because sometimes... People wonder what I'm really saying. <laughs> Baptism has no saving power. Baptism will not make you any more or less saved. Baptism does not in any way contribute even to your salvation. Baptism is a voluntary post-salvation ordinance in which believers publicly identify, publicly identify with Christ and the core gospel message of his death, burial, and resurrection. This, my friends, is the gospel. Well, come back to the desert for a moment. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't quite understand this. Yet. Yet. Because apparently he'd heard how these Christ followers, followers got baptized by water and it was kind of intriguing to him. So he just on his own, without any help from anybody, put two and two together and got five. That's what a lot of people do today. I mean, I have had people explain it to me, how to get to heaven in such a way that I quit trying to witness to them because I was pretty well convinced that they had it down. I didn't understand their way, but man, it sounded good. Because I'm sure they've repeated it, and probably generationally, over and over and over and over again to the point where they believe that's how you get to heaven. This eunuch assumed that baptism was how you became a Christian, because in verse 36 he said this, Hey, there's some water. I mean, right out of the blue he says this, Why don't you baptize me, Philip? Philip said in verse 37, this is the crux of the message. See that big word? <coughs> if, if, that big word is conditional. That's the conditional. And by the way, it's the only condition. Oh, Philip was so smart. He said it, "You can be baptized if If what? If what, Philip? If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may be baptized." Yeah. Philip was saying, "Hey, you're onto to something, but you got the cart before the horse you haven't heard about the faith factor, have you? You don't understand what that faith factor really is. And I heard a story sometime back, quite a while ago, probably a few more years ago than I want to remember, about a tightrope walker. <coughs> he could go across a tightrope, blindfolded, and he even pushed a wheelbarrow across a tight, tightrope, blindfolded. Now, after the crossing of uh, Niagara Falls and some of these huge skyscrapers and all the rest around the world with the tightrope specialists, I believe almost anything now, wouldn't you? Yeah, and especially if you'd seen it. So a promoter got a hold of the idea and heard about him, and he made him an offer to do his act over a place like the Niagara Falls. I'm not sure that that's where it was, but let's say it was. And after a lot of promotion and setting the whole thing up, many people came to see the event. The tightroper started on the Canadian side, we'll say, and came to the American side. And and, and And he made the walk and he made it easily. And then he came to the promoter and he said, well, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe that I can do it? Well, of course I do. I just saw you do it. No, no, no. I mean, do you really believe I can do it? Well, well, of course I believe you can do it. I, I tell you, I just saw you. You did it. No, 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 said the tightrope walker. Do you believe I can do it? Yes, said the promoter. I believe you could do it. Good, said the tightrope walker. Then you get in the wheelbarrow. Yep. The Ethiopian had it all right, except he had it backwards. He'd forgotten something that's rather important. He'd forgotten the faith factor. Just like the promoter. Oh yeah, yep. I know you can do it now, I've seen you do it. Do you really think I can do it? Oh, I know you can. No, no, I mean, do you really believe I can do it? Oh, absolutely. Good. Then you get in the wheelbarrow. You cannot be baptized to be saved. You must believe in Christ. And then you can and should be baptized as a testimony of your faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I wonder how many times I'm going to say those words. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because that's the gospel. Suddenly, this was a pretty smart man anyway, wasn't he? He was the secretary of the treasury for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He didn't get there by flunking out. And he finally gets it. Because he blurts out, well, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And after, write this in if you're making notes or make a little note in your Bible. After he believed in Christ and was saved. He could be baptized, and he was baptized. He could be baptized, and he was baptized. He could be baptized and should have been, and he was baptized. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot, stand still. Can you imagine the people in that entourage who really didn't know what was going on? And they see the boss man getting down out of the chariot, and he and Philip are walking down the bank towards this watering hole. And they both walk into the water, the Bible says. Both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. It's got to be one of the most beautiful baptisms in the world, right in the middle of the desert. Right in the middle of the desert? Hello. Now note, the result of this... I haven't heard of too many baptisms in the middle of a desert. The result of this remarkable encounter is at the end of verse 39. We're going to put it on the screen so we can all read it together. Because this is what it's all about. And when that was all over, verse 39 ends this way. Read with me. And he went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. He went on his way what? Rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. Why wouldn't he? He got enlightenment. He got salvation. He obeyed God. He identified with Jesus. He's a new man, he's a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And guess what? He's going on his way. He came to Jerusalem a lost man, lost as a sheep and a, a goose in a snowstorm, and now he's gone partway home and he's in the middle of the desert where there would be absolutely no hope of anything ever happening, and he's a brand new creature in Christ. So he went on his way. How? Rejoice. I would say so. He found forgiveness in Christ. It brought joy to his heart. Tradition tells us that the man returned to his home in Ethiopia. And if you followed through that story, he was instrumental in the spread of the gospel throughout northern Africa. It all started when God orchestrated, first off, a willing... I call him holy hitchhiker to meet Ethiopian whose heart God had already prepared in the desert so he could hear the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and follow the Lord in baptism. What does God want you? What is God calling you, my friend, to do this very day with this clear, crystal, clear teaching of his word? What does he want you to do? Well, those of you that are Jesus followers have a couple things, and I'd like for you to listen on purpose. First, I invite you to worship the Lord this morning. Continue the spirit of worship and joy and gladness and gratefulness as you reminisce about God's working in your heart to bring you to faith through His Word and the people that He used as witness, bearers of the good news, messengers, His special agents. And secondly, Christian, let me ask you, are you willing to make yourself available? (laughs) Somewhere along the way, Philip said, wherever, whatever, Lord. (laughs) And the Spirit picked them up and took them to the desert. I don't think that's what he meant, but that's where he went. Are you willing to be used as an instrument of God to bring the gospel to others? If you don't share the gospel, the angels aren't going to do it. It's not their job. God called us to be the witnesses for our Savior. And if you're like the Ethiopian in our story, someone to whom God and the Bible and forgiveness of sins in heaven and all the eternity is frankly has been a bit confusing, let me just encourage you to keep coming. Keep moving forward in your pursuit. Start going maybe to a small group environment or a setting where you can learn more of God's word. Ask your questions. Have them answered. Keep reading your Bible. Ask God to make it clear to you. We don't force people here. I, I, I got to, just on the light side, I got I to share this story with you. A little girl sat with her parents during a, a baptismal service in a church one Sunday evening. And it was a whole new experience for her. She'd never seen it. And after the, the baptism or one of the people got baptized, she exclaimed in surprise, Why did he push that guy in the water? Why, Dad? Why? And her mom was trying to explain it and keep her quiet. And so she said, I'll tell you later. We'll tell you. I'll explain it. So they got home. And the parents tried to provide an answer that a child's mind could comprehend. And they talked about sin. And they talked to, told the little one that when people decide they're going to live for Jesus and do good and obey, they want everybody to know. And then they explained that the water just was like a symbol of Jesus cleaning people from sin. And when they come out clean, they're going to try to be good. And the little girl heard all this and immediately she responded So, why didn't the pastor just spank the man? <laughs> Sometimes I think that would do more good. (laughs) I baptized almost 600 people, and I know some of them I should have spanked, but don't laugh. You might be one of them. Um, We don't force people. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place. He did that to save you and to give you eternal life and set you free. That's all you need to know. Just now put your life in God's hands. That's all you need to do. John 3.16, Jesus made this wonderful promise. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have, present tense, everlasting life. (laughs) already have it if you've believed in Him. So my dear adult friend, I urge you, To come, to believe, to submit to his call, to decide. And don't just analyze or judge my sermon this morning. Act on it. Act today. Because I want to ask you this question. What forbids or hinders, I've heard all the background excuses, all of them, What forbids or hinders you from being baptized scripturally according to the scripture? In a moment or two, I'm going to call the worship team to come and join me, and they're going to get in place. But just before they do, I want to speak to you in a very personal, loving manner. Can I do that? And I say personal, loving, because I want it to be personal directly into your heart. And I want you to know I love you very, very much. We don't force people into being baptized. And no, we don't spank people. (laughs) So rest at ease. (laughs) But we need to seriously look at how important as an act of identification and obedience this ordinance really is. Last week we all partook of the second ordinance which Jesus established. That's communion or the Lord's Supper. right? But of the two ordinances taught in scripture, water baptism is always first. Always first. You know, over the past two decades, a lot of folks have been baptized under the faith community ministry, and I mean a lot. I remember those beautiful outdoor campground baptisms. Some of you are sitting here today. That Oh, it was wonderful. We had pool baptisms over at the Y. We were there for six years. And we've had many, many here in our beautiful baptistry right here in the big room, right here in this room. Is it time for Zumba? Oh, no. Uh, sometimes... It's teenagers entering the water of baptism. I will say this too, and I'm very proud of this. We've had quite a few very, very brave younger children follow the Lord and make a testimony of it, and that thrills my heart. And then sometimes it's adults. Not it's not not enough, but sometimes. So this morning, I'm speaking directly to adults in our assembly who have not followed the Lord Jesus in the act of water baptism by immersion. That is, not yet. We will soon be scheduling and announcing our next service of baptism here at Faith Community. We're probably going to announce within the next very few weeks. We'd love to see so many of you to whom the Holy Spirit right now is speaking, right now, come into those waters. I would give up, I've told Pastor Todd this, I would give up my morning of preaching to have many baptisms, especially of adults, and lots of worship and praise that morning to our God. I want to just say this too before I bring it down to put the question to you again. We're going to totally break tradition this morning. That's about the only tradition we have here is broken ones. Um, Barbara's going to greet you at the door as you leave. (laughs) That's three, you're out. (laughs) Um, um, No, we just exchanged brawn for beauty. So, the reason for that is I'm going to be at the back of this room, and I want you to come and see me and leave me your name, if your name is going to be on the list for our next baptism, Adults. Adults. You can just come and tell me and I'll write it down. Or you can take the connect card that's in the the pouch in front of you or beside you. Put your name on the front and on the back up on the right hand side. It says baptism. Just check that and just hand it to me. That'll be fine. That'll be wonderful. Adults, this Ethiopian was a man of great authority. He was a grown adult man. For explosive questions. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're hearing this morning? How can I, unless someone guides me correctly? I believe that's been done. Please tell me of whom was the prophet speaking of himself or of someone else? Very clearly, it's someone else, and his name is Jesus Christ. So look, see, water. What hinders me? What hinders you from being baptized? I'm going to ask the worship team to grace the platform now, and we're going to have a word of prayer, then we're going to continue in worship of the Lord. Wow, what a great spirit in this place today. Thank you for listening. I love you, and I'm appreciating everything that's going to happen even in the next while. And I'm especially excited about all those that are going to come see me at the end of the service. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's so true, it's so clear. We know it's your pure word. We know that you want this word to be obeyed. We don't, you didn't give us the commands as suggestions. You commanded that we follow this and that we show to others that we belong to you and that we love you and that we're part of your family. Lord, thank you for the joy and the privilege of being part of the family of God. So bless those who make this important decision today and act upon it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.